I want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Hold your place there and then we're going to flip over to Colossians chapter 3 as well. We're going to look at Ephesians 5 verses 18 through 20. And then we're going to also consider Colossians 3 verses 16 and 17. We'll be looking at several other passages along the way this morning, and so if you're keeping track, you'll have several that we'll be considering, but these will be the two that we want to guide our time together this morning. I want to read them now, so let's stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. We'll begin with Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. There's very similar passages, both written by the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit for the encouragement, instruction, and edification of the church. Paul writes in Ephesians 5, verse 18. He says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always for, and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then in Colossians 3, verse 16, he writes, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You may be seated. Let's pray as we ask the Lord's help and direction in his word this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us now to hear it and to be changed by it, instructed and changed by it. So Father, we just ask for your help now, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Have you ever considered how odd of a thing it is for a bunch of us to get together on a Sunday morning and spend a good amount of time singing. Maybe you've never thought about it as being odd, but it's quite odd. Who else does this? What other kind of gathering can you find or explain that does this? Perhaps at a birthday party, yes, people sing. Or maybe at a ball game, they sing the national anthem. Maybe you can find exceptions here and there, but what we do as a gathered congregation on a Sunday morning for an extended period of time in singing is odd because you will be hard-pressed to find anything like it anywhere else. Congregational singing is a distinctly Christian activity. You can either go to other religions and you will not find this kind of thing. Whether your voice is trained or untrained, whether you're able to carry a tune or not, all of us have been given the privilege of singing God's praise. We belong to a singing faith. God created music and singing 
as a means of worship, not the means. You cannot equate singing to worship. So a lot of times people say, well, we worship, now we're having the sermon. That's not true. We're worshiping now as I'm proclaiming the word of God and as you're hearing it to be changed by it. This is worship. Giving of our tithes and offerings is worship. Remember the second sermon in the series, Romans 12, one and two, all of life is worship. Your obedience to Christ is an activity of worship. Singing is just a part of worship. It is not the primary piece even of worship or even in a worship gathering, but it is an important part of worship. We belong to a singing faith. You, friends, were created by God to sing. Some of us know the great Protestant reformer Martin Luther, know him as a great theologian and pastor, perhaps, teacher of theology. But he was also one that loved music and singing. In fact, he once said this, a person that does not regard music, and by implication singing, as a marvelous creation of God must be a clodhopper indeed and does not deserve to be called a human being. He should be permitted to hear nothing but the braying of asses and the grunting of hogs. Now, perhaps those were strong words, but I'm pretty sure Luther meant it. Whether you enjoy singing or find it intimidatingly awkward, friend, God made you to sing. So my hope and my prayer going into this message this morning is for us all to be encouraged in our worship of God, specifically in a gathering like this corporately, that we would be encouraged to sing. We're not all going to sing to the same quality or level, but we all should be encouraged to sing God's praise. So I want us to look this morning at five reasons why we should sing. Biblical reasons. I could give us 10, but I figured some of you would want to go home at a point this afternoon, and so I'm gonna keep it to five. Five reasons that we are called, expected, commanded to sing. Let's look at these together. I'm gonna begin with the first one that's most obvious, and it's this. Singing leads us to praise the Lord. Singing leads us to praise the Lord. In both the Ephesians and Colossians passage, Paul exhorts the believer regarding God as the primary object of our worship. He says we're to make melody to the Lord, singing, he says, with thankfulness in our hearts to God. Singing, making melody with thankfulness to God. This is an activity that is radically God-centered, This is an activity that we are called to to engage in as a means to praise and proclaim the greatness of God. So singing then as a means of worship, not the only means, but as a means of worship is an activity that we're called to engage in as a act of praise to the Lord. As we think about that, I want us to think about two important motives as to why we are to sing praises to God. First of all, God deserves our praise. 
God deserves our praise. Throughout the Bible, we see the worthiness of God as a reason to praise God. It's, it's all over the place. Just a couple of passages. Psalm 18, verse three, the psalmist says, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. Psalm 147, verse one, praise the Lord, psalmist says, for it is good to sing praises to our God. So God deserves our praise. It is a good thing. He is worthy to receive praise for who he is. We could stop right there. God is worthy of our praise simply for who he is, period. But he's also worthy of our praise because of what he does. If you were reading through the Bible and you get to the book of Exodus and you know that God in a miraculous way through his servant Moses leads his people out of Egypt, out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt and takes them to the promised land. You remember the the story in Exodus um, about 14, 13, somewhere in there uh, where God leads his people through the Red Sea. It's a miraculous thing. God opens the sea up, his people go through, the Egyptians follow, the sea comes down on them and kills them. So what does Moses do? He sings. Exodus 15, the song of Moses. It's a song. So Moses is singing the praise of God for who God is. Listen to what, listen to what his motive is here, for who God is and what God does. Then Moses, we're told, this is Exodus 15, verse one. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Moses, the people of Israel, break out in song because of who God is and because of what God does. He deserves our praise. Friends, this simple truth alone, we could stop right here, this is sufficient. I could end the sermon. Some of you are like, amen, let's do it. <laughs> Super Bowl, all right, we gotta get the chips. Not gonna happen. Go Falcons. <laughs> that simple truth alone should lead us to sing. God deserves our praise. He deserves our praise. I want you to think about this. When we sing, especially in a corporate gathering like this, we are saying something about the worth of God. When we sing, we are saying something about the worth of God. Now you know what's coming next, right? The other implication. And so when we do not sing, we are also saying something about our understanding of the worth of God. What does it say about our God to our children, our grandchildren, and perhaps the non-Christian sitting near us when we aren't singing? It says something about your view of God. I want to know that there are many reasons why people may not sing. I'll get to those in just a moment because there are valid reasons why someone may not be singing at a particular moment. But friend, just know that God deserves our praise and we want to express to him and for the others around us, for their sake, just how great he is. 
But not only does God deserve our praise, God desires our praise. There are many commands in the Bible for us to sing. I read from Psalm 95 earlier to begin our time together. But I want you to listen to Psalm 47. Psalm 47. This is what the psalm writer says. He's Psalm of the sons of Korah. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the most high, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Notice there's the command and the reason. Do you see that? Do this because of this. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Why? For the Lord is the most high. He is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. And then it continues to exhort the people to sing. Verse six, sing praises to God. Sing praises, sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with the psalm. And on he goes. God commands us to sing because he wants us to sing. He wants us to sing. And so when we regularly sing, we are engaged in an activity that God deserves and God desires. Now there are reasons why someone may not sing. And I would say that for the Christian, these are not regular moments. There are, there are reasons, valid reasons, some of them, why someone may or may not be singing. I said this a couple of weeks ago about those of us who may not sing, and, and I should have gone further to say that there are sometimes reasons why someone may not be singing. So don't judge the person beside you just because they may not be singing at a particular moment. Don't think that they're lost on their way to hell or somehow they're not as sanctified as you. It's not true, necessarily. There, there are some reasons why someone may not sing. Number one, they may not sing well, or they, don't, they just may not be confident. They may feel awkward in their singing. Just to encourage those of you who may feel that way, I'll remind you that Paul says that we're to make melody, not with our voices, but with our hearts. And so if you don't feel like you can sing well, still sing, friend. God made you to sing. Sometimes we, we don't feel like singing. And that could be a host of reasons. We're discouraged, we're defeated, we're sad, we're grieving, we're, we're frustrated. And we just may not feel like singing. There, there are times that I have come into a gathering like this and I don't feel like singing. Sometimes there's times like this, I come into a gathering like this and I don't feel like preaching. It's true. And there are many reasons why that may be the case. It could be sin, it could be just, I've had a hard moment, I've had a hard day. It could be many different things. But I want you to listen to Psalm 13 just to, to be encouraged when you don't feel like singing. This is David. David is discouraged. David is defeated. And David feels that God is distant from him. This is what David says. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Lift up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. 
The first four verses of Psalm 13, David is in a bad place. He is discouraged. He feels as if God has shut him out, that he is far away. But I want you to notice the next verse. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So even in our moments of discouragement and perhaps despair and overwhelmed with, with sadness and grief and difficulty in our lives, all we have to go do in our hearts is, is remember the steadfast love of the Lord. And even like David, we can begin to sing. Sometimes there are practical reasons. Maybe it's an unfamiliar song or melody that we're not used to. And certainly all of us have our preferences and, and that kind of thing when it comes to style. And so it may take time for us to learn. And so as we're, and if you ever come to a point in the service where you're like, I don't know this song, just listen to the words. Learn it over time and you will grow to where you're able to eventually sing it. But those are, there, there are many other reasons why we may not be singing at a particular moment. This is not the regular pattern for the Christian. This is the exception, not the rule. God deserves our praise and he desires it. Point number one. There's a second reason why we sing. Singing is an expression of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter five, verse 18, Paul contrasts getting drunk with wine as, and, and being filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord. So being drunk with wine means you're being controlled by that substance, it's a sin. Being drunk is, is, is a sin. And it, it, it's, it's, you're being controlled by that substance. But in contrast, being filled with the Spirit means that you're being controlled by the Spirit. And all Paul is saying is that, that singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, it's not necessarily a natural activity, is it? It's a supernatural activity. Christian singing is a way for us to pursue the filling of the Holy Spirit and to express the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, two caveats there. Number one, God is not always pleased with the singing of his people. It's true. Amos chapter five, verse 23, God says to Israel, take away from me the noise of your songs. You don't wanna hear the Lord say that. He was not pleased with their singing because they were hypocrites. They were living a, a fraudulent life. They, they were acting one way and they were doing their religious duties and ceremonies and, and living completely contrary to the will of God throughout the rest of the week. He says, I don't want to hear your singing. It's noise. So God is not always pleased. Just because we come together as Christians and sing doesn't mean God is automatically pleased. There's a lot right in here that needs to be right than what's coming out of here. You can fool everybody in this room just singing the praises of God and not be worshiping a lick. Just be exposing your hypocrisy and further condemnation before the Lord. 
Also notice or take note that while singing is a sign of the Holy Spirit's work, it does not guarantee that the Holy Spirit's at work. I just kind of said that. Someone might be a gifted singer and enjoy singing, but may not be worshiping. Just because someone sings doesn't prove that they're filled with the Holy Spirit or that they're even a Christian, but the one who is a Christian and therefore is filled with the Holy Spirit will sing. Singing is a sign of spiritual life. It's an expression of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Number three, third reason. Singing teaches us truth. Singing teaches us truth. Notice the words of Paul in the Colossians 3 passage. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Then what does he say? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. As if one of the ways that the way that we let the word of Christ dwell in us, us richly and we teach and admonish one another comes through the form of singing. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Friends, while singing is most certainly a vertical activity, we're singing praise to God. Singing is also a horizontal activity as we sing to one another. We sing songs in worship directly to the Lord, which is also a form of prayer, by the way. When you're singing a song that's particularly addressing God directly, it's a form of prayer. You're singing to the Lord. You're speaking to the Lord and proclaiming Him. You're praising Him. You're honoring Him. But there are times also where we sing songs that lead us to sing about the Lord, So sometimes we sing to the Lord, sometimes we're singing about the Lord, and there should certainly be a diversity of that in our gathering. Singing is a formative activity. It's a formative activity, meaning that it instructs us and it shapes our beliefs. This morning we sang 10,000 Reasons. That was more of a song to God. And we sang other songs. Behold our God, it is well. God moves in a mysterious way. These were... Songs about God, teaching us some very critical truths about him. One New Testament scholar, Douglas Moo, said this. He said, worship of God should always involve the emotions. How can we praise a holy God who has redeemed us without getting emotional about it? But what should move our emotions not the tones of the organ or piano or the insistent, insistent beat of the drums, but the mind's apprehension of truth about God. Singing is an excellent opportunity for discipleship. I mean, have you ever thought about it that way? I think maybe sometimes we come in here and we think, okay, we did discipleship at nine. That was a quip hour. We got home group coming up. That's discipleship. We're worshiping now. Well, yeah, we're worshiping. We're also discipling. We're reminding each other of what is true. We're holding forth the promises of God that some of us have forgotten and we need to desperately reclaim. We're reminding ourselves oftentimes in the things that we sing. Sometimes we're enforcing for the first time truth that people, maybe they've, maybe they've, 
sung these things for a while, or maybe as they're being reared up as a, as a child and growing, they're, they're starting to catch on. There's nothing more than I love to hear my little girls at home singing hymns. That sometimes they don't know what it means, but they're singing them. That truth is being reinforced over and over. Friends, singing is an ex- excellent opportunity for us to teach truth about God. This is why, this is why singing substantive, theologically rich, gospel-saturated songs must be the main diet in our singing here at this church. Our song selections should never be driven by popularity or the melody of a song. Our first question should not be, how does it sound? The first question should be, what does it say? Gordon Fee, another scholar once said, show me a church's songs and I will show you its theology. Notice too that Paul says twice, both passages, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I think we make a slight mistake when we try to apply these terms to our definitions today. I don't think Paul was saying that we need to, I think he was including the 150 psalms, for example, in what he meant when he said psalms. I don't think he was limiting to that. I don't think he was saying that we need to sing the 150 Psalms, throw in some Isaac Watts and Charles Wesley, Keevan Christian Getty, and then the spiritual songs. Let's add some Hillsong and Tomlin in there. Maybe some Lecrae every now and then. Maybe some Gaither. Maybe. I don't think that's what he's saying. He's not saying, because I don't think that our definition, I would argue by, for example, every song we have sung this morning is a hymn. Some of you would say, no way, 10,000 reasons, it's a hymn. The way it's written, the way it's styled, all of what we sing this morning. And some of you, see, we have differing definitions. And sometimes we want to impose our definition upon the biblical text instead of stepping back and allow the biblical text to define for us what is true. It's a mistake in biblical interpretation. I think he's just simply pointing to the musical diversity that should mark a congregation. The Jewish people were largely known for their singing of psalms and poetry in, in, their, uh, in their worship of God. The, the Greeks, the, the Gentiles, especially the Greeks, were known for their hymns, the style in which they would sing, and then most of, all, most of which, by the way, were secular, and as the church continued to be planted, the church would redeem those secular tunes and Christianize them singing Christian songs according to the same tunes. And spiritual songs, I don't think it's just a tack on. I think he's saying it's just all kinds of songs. We should, we should be singing all kinds of songs that lead us to praise God. Sing songs that help us worship him. Sing songs that are marked by truth and that can be communicated in a variety of different ways. As all of us have preferences and even different definitions of what a particular song might be. Some, again, equate hymns as traditional I love to sing hymns, both old and modern hymns, but that doesn't mean I dislike other styles. I enjoy other styles. This truth can be communicated in a bunch of different ways. But again, style is the secondary, if not tertiary, if not (laughs) unimportant matter altogether. It's the truth of what we sing that should mark a congregation. Because if, 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 
if we're teaching and admonishing one another and allowing the word of Christ to dwell in us richly, it matters what we sing. It matters. There are some great hymns. We've sang some of them this morning. There are some bad hymns. There are some great modern songs. There are some terrible modern songs. What we sing matters because we're teaching when we sing. We're enforcing what is right and what is true. Number four, singing also enables us to express passion. In both the Ephesians and Colossians text, Paul references the heart. He says, with thankfulness in your hearts, making melody with all your hearts. He's getting to expressive ways that we worship God. Certainly when we think about expressing passion, this is where people's opinions get all stirred up. Some folks believe that outward expression of emotion is showy and disrespectful and therefore should be kept to a minimum. While others couldn't imagine worship without outwardly expressing themselves. So what does the Bible say? That's what we should ask, right? Not what do we think's right, but what does the Bible say? Psalm 47 verse one, clap your hands all peoples, shout to God with loud songs of joy. Psalm 95, one and two, let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Psalm 108 verse one, my heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. Just a cursory look at these verses indicate passionate singing that involves the whole being. But we need to realize that that will look different person to person. Context to context. What cannot be denied from the Bible is that worship should be absent of passion. You can never say we should not show passion in our worship and prove that from the Bible. The Bible lists many outward expressions, kneeling, lifting our hands, bowing, clapping, shouting, playing instruments, Dance, standing in awe, and on and on we could go. All are good and can be appropriately expressed. But again, that doesn't mean that people always express them at the same exact time and equally in the same way. The main point here is that while our passion can be expressed in various ways, we must realize that passion is a normal and right response to God. Isaac Watts, the great hymn writer, he wrote, um, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, one of his well-known hymns. He said this, let us remember that the very power of singing was given to human nature chiefly for this purpose, that our warmest affections might break out into natural and divine melody and that the tongue of the worshiper might express his own heart. Bob Coughlin, modern day songwriter and worship leader says this, suppressing or ignoring your feelings when, you're, when you sing contradicts what singing was designed to do. 
passionless singing is an oxymoron. Friends, we are all called to sing the praises of God and we will sing, we're called to sing with passion. I realize that that passion will look differently person to person. I've heard various critiques of our worship here at Redeeming Grace. Some have expressed to me that they struggle in our worship because they feel like that it's void of passion and expression. Others have expressed to me that they find our worship gatherings quite edifying and encouraging, soul-stirring. Some have even told me that they want to be more expressive in worship, but feel restrained by others because they somehow think that they're being judged. And if if that's you, if you feel that way, if you feel like you're being restrained, stop. Friends, if you want to express yourself in a biblically appropriate way by lifting your hands or singing with passionate voice, shouting amen, but you're more concerned with what someone behind you might think, the problem is not with them. The problem is with you, with pride in your own heart. Let me go on record inviting you to raise your hands and passionately express yourself in worship as you feel led by the Holy Spirit in biblically appropriate ways. Appropriate outward expressions of worship are encouraged and welcomed here at Redeeming Grace. At the same time, while those of you who are more outwardly expressive in your worship than others, don't you become the judge, right? Let's flip the coin for a minute. You may be concerned with the person judging you and don't you become the judge because what the temptation could be is that while you feel freedom in expressing yourself in more outward expressions of worship, you may look to your neighbor and they may feel like the frozen chosen. (laughs) Well, friend, don't judge them. You have no idea what is in their heart. Don't judge those who aren't expressing themselves like you. Just because someone may not be raising a hand or clapping or about to burst their vocal cords doesn't mean that they lack passion. It doesn't. A lot of that has to do with our upbringing and even our our church cultures that we've come out of. Compare and contrast someone's experience to your experience. Here's the very best thing that we can do is get our eyes off the person in the seat beside us and get, us, get our eyes on the king above us and everything else will take care of itself in worship. Singing though is a means to expression, outward expression at times, but passionate things. For instance, I want to just encourage us to sing with gusto Sing. I love to, to hear the congregation singing. 
In fact, many have said it before, I will confirm that I believe it's true that the, the most important instrument in a worship gathering like this is not anything up here, it is you. Your voices joining together, collectively singing the praises of God who deserves and desires us to sing is the most important instrument in this room. Thankful for these instruments and the, 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 the folks that play them, gifted, appreciate them, they're, they're awesome. But your voice is most important. So we wanna cultivate an intense, passionate, and yes, even an appropriately expressive worship gathering because God desires such worship and he deserves it. Number five, singing fosters unity in the church. Again, we come all from different backgrounds and we all come from different church cultures. If you were coming here from another church, or maybe you, you come and, and you're a new Christian, you don't have church background, and this is, this is all you know. We all have different backgrounds. We all have different perspectives. We all have different preferences. We all have different expectations when it comes to worship, especially singing and music. And churches have feuded and even split over this topic. But notice in Colossians chapter three, if you back up just a few verses, in verse 12, he is, he was, he is Actually, in the, in the beginning of chapter three, Paul is contrasting what it means to live in Christ versus what it doesn't mean. He says, put off these sins, these things that used to mark you. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord is forgiving you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And that perfect harmony is not a, a, a musical reference that we should sing harmony, right? Don't pull that out and say, see, we should only sing harmony. Bible says harmony. That's not what he said. He's talking about unity. He's talking about the fact that we should be unified. Let the peace of Christ dwell in you. Let the word of God dwell in you. Teaching and admonishing. He goes on. He's describing relational unity there. Corporate worship ought to be one of the church's greatest displays of unity. But unfortunately, it often becomes the greatest source of division. People will insist on hearing their own style and complain that they can't worship because of we do this or we do that or we don't do this or we don't do that. Granted, there are some legitimate critiques that ought to be made from time to time and there are legitimate distractions that will often inhibit worship, and we need to do everything that we can to reduce those distractions. But many of our complaints, do they not often arise from selfishness in our own hearts? I think if we're honest, I've heard, I've heard it on all spectrums. I've contributed my own critique. And instead of approaching worship selfishly, I think it would do us well to remember Paul's instructions in Philippians 2 three and four, do nothing. And I would argue that singing is included in the word nothing, all right? Do nothing, he's talking about, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not only look to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. 
Because what better way to practice that than in congregational worship? It is impossible to nail a format or a style that accommodates everyone 100%. And you would know that. It's impossible to do that. Unity means that there will be many times when we gladly sing, not just sing, gladly sing a song that may not be our preferred style, but we rejoice in its truth and the fact that others in our midst are being helped and encouraged by it. And that goes two ways, three ways. It goes, it goes in all kinds of directions, doesn't it? I mean, there are, there are songs I help select the songs during the week. I work with Dan and the praise team to do that. And there are some songs that we sing, I'm like, I'm not a fan of that song. But if I'm beginning to say that as I'm singing, I'm not worshiping God, am I? If I'm in critique mode, in offense mode, it's not worship. Unity means that we will gladly sing, knowing that the person beside us prefers that style. And man, they're belting it out and I'm gonna sing with them. In fact, your singing encourages others to sing. Your not singing discourages others. So whether you like the style or not like the style, whether you're a hymn person or a non-hymn person or a modern person or not, put that aside. Is it true? That's what you should, is this true about God? Style aside, is it true? Can I affirm this with my brothers and sisters gladly? and then sing. Again, the main instrument of the congregation in worship is the congregation singing. So when we sing together, when we sing together, it is an opportunity to deepen that expression of unity in a local church. And that means every voice is important. Another reason why we should sing, your voice matters. No, it may not be quite as up to par as that person over there. Okay. If you're intimidated by it, don't sit near them. Go over there where the non-singer sits. I don't know. This is just something that I've struggled with in my own journey. Kind of an intimidated, shy person. And it's taken me years to, to get to the point in congregational worship where I sing with passion. It's not always the case that I sing with that passion, but... It's a, sometimes a growth process for us. Every voice matters. Coming together to sing to the same God who saved us by the same gospel, who's gathered us into the same family. And we're gonna be doing this forever together. Friends, there's coming a day when many things that we do as a church will stop. When all is said and done and the new heavens and new earth are established, there will be no more evangelism. There'll be no more baptisms. No more pastor search teams. No more church planting. No more missions. But oh, brother and sister, there will always be singing. The angelic choir continually before the presence of God, even now, 
sing the praises of God. And one day we will enter eternity to join with them. But when we get there, I want you to notice what you should expect. And I want to read from Zephaniah chapter 3. Zephaniah, he's a forgotten prophet in the Old Testament. There in Zephaniah chapter 3, the prophet is, is looking far ahead to, to what it will be like when we're together. As God's redeemed in eternity. And this is what he says. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion, let your hands not grow weak. The Lord, God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Oh, brother or sister in Christ, let us sing with a confident joy because one day we will be gathered together with the saints for all of eternity and God himself will loudly sing over his people. What a day that will be. Let's sing. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, you are so glorious. Oftentimes there aren't words suited to simply speak. And so Lord, we have to do nothing but sing. And Father, I thank you that you have created this unique thing that we call singing, that you've created music, that you've done this for our enjoyment as we think of you and as we sing to you and as we sing about you. Father, and indeed it is odd in the eyes of the world that we would come together on a Sunday that we would spend a good number of our minutes or hour together in song. But Father, you are a God who is worthy of every ounce of praise and every song that we could sing. Father, we thank you that you've given us this privilege and this joy. Would you help us to be a singing people? Not for our sake, Lord so that we can be a proclaiming people and a praising people and a people known to celebrate the riches of grace that have been given us in Christ. Father, forgive us for when we have neglected to praise you, whether it's through song or through our obedience in some other way, and help us to be a joyful, passionate singing people to the praise of your glory. We pray this in Christ's name.